Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, so of course we're going to talk today about Don Cherry, but before we do, I just want to share some thoughts. You never had a choice about Don Cherry. When when the CBC, which is your public broadcaster, which like you don't have a choice as to whether or not you give them your money, and you don't have a choice as to what they put on your public airwaves, like the radio and TV frequency that they are the stewards of, it's yours, but you never had a choice. And so when Don Cherry attacked your neighbor, or maybe you, or or attacked like science itself, or or promoted violence. Like you never had a say in that. You don't have a say in the Globe and Mail giving Ezra Levant a platform. And pretty soon, your money is going to go to the Globe and Mail, whether you want it to or not. You don't have a choice as to whether or not your tax dollars are part of the media bailout. You don't have a choice when uh, a post media paper attacks immigrants. You've got no choice in any of that. You have a choice about supporting Canada land or not. And I think that's kind of the best reason to support us is because you don't have to. Many people, most people use that choice to not support us, including most of the people who listen to this. If you're listening to this right now, it's because you're not getting our ad free version. It's because uh, you're most likely not a supporter of Canada land. I want you to make the choice to support us. We answer to you. We work for you. And we hold those other organizations to account on your behalf. We have a long way to go towards our goals. And this is the one month out of the year where we have the chance to reach them. So please go to patreon.com slash Canada land and support this independent news organization. Thank you. Shireen Ahmed. Hello. Freelance writer and uh, host of Burn It All Down, a, yeah. uh, a sports podcast. <laughs> yes. Welcome to Shortcuts for the first time. Thank you for having me. Listen, today we are going to talk about The Day the Social Media Mob Came for Me, a Quillette essay by Donald <laughs> Cherry, as imagined by John Semley. And what does opinion writing in Canada look like in a post-Margaret Wente world? exactly the same as it did before. It's good to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about all this and so much more. 
This episode of the show is brought to you by Kyle Matheson, my Fonwi Pope, Moraj Hassan, Ernie Lightman, Deanna O'Brien, Jen Hiscock, Kerry Zinkowicz, and Nick. My name is Nick, and I'm from Godrich, Ontario. I listen to Candleland because all the other major news outlets in Canada seem to be pushing the same narrative, and they're doing something different. You people love you, you that come here, whatever it is. You love our way of life. You love our milk and honey. At least you could pay a couple of bucks for poppies or something like that. These guys pay for your way of life that you enjoy in Canada. These guys pay the, uh, the biggest price. Anyhow, I'm going to run it again for you great people and good Canadians that bought a poppy. I'm still going to run it. Anyhow. Shireen, November 11th. It was Remembrance Day. It was the day... Don Cherry was fired. How will you remember Don Cherry? I prefer not to. I prefer to move on. I prefer to look to hockey as something so interesting, inclusive, exciting. I grew up watching Grapes every Saturday. My mother's a huge Habs fan. We watched him. We watched him say really bad shit about Russians. Amazing upper body strength of the Russians. So amazing. They're nothing. Just a minute. No, They're sorry. nothing. About Swedes. Your little book here, little stick, you Swedes, you're fighting. About French Canadians. Tearing the fabric of our nations apart. Heard him make disparaging remarks about women. When you come to the games, keep your eyes on the puck. And I'm telling you, I've seen some awful smacks and it's always a woman yapping away there. No, Look at the game. Then he sort of veered off into new territory, talking about minorities and whatnot. And, you know, as I got older and more critical in my thinking, I got more annoyed and just sort of with everybody else saying, oh, it's just Don Cherry. So this whole idea, first of all, that he's gone, I don't think he's ever really going to be gone, ever, unfortunately. Um, but Remembrance Day itself and part of the whole problem that I have with this gong show, that's the technical term I'm using for this whole thing, yeah. is, is just that he completely absorbed any stories that anyone was sharing about actual vets in the history. And that annoyed me because there's so many important things that he himself could have focused on, stories of indigenous soldiers, of black soldiers. And I didn't even know that Indigenous soldiers came back to Canada and couldn't even vote until 56, 1956. Like, these are pieces of history that he omitted and continued to omit because it didn't represent the super white Anglo-Saxon Canada that he believed in. I mean, I have thoughts on Don Cherry, but I don't have the same um, position from which to experience this as you do. You belong to a minority that I do not understand, and that is uh, sports fans. Um <laughs> What is your uh, like relationship, both as a, as a sports fan and to this issue of veterans that he kind of, I think, has made his issue and he's sort of positioned this issue as something that I think is, is like you've got your immigrants over here and you've got your veterans over here and the immigrants better respect the veterans. Which is so interesting because what Don Cherry didn't realize or doesn't know of, because it wouldn't be the first time he would be historically inaccurate, was that immigrant communities that he spoke about often very much participated and were vets. My Both of my grandfathers were vets, one who became a Canadian citizen July 1st, 1999. It was the happiest day of his life, other than when I was born, obviously. Sure. But he, they both, they, my maternal grandfather was with the Royal Indian Army. He literally lost his hearing in a trench because of an explosion in Burma. 
And then the other one was a squadron leader with the Royal Indian Air Force, becomes Canadian. I know so many people, and we saw this, Jagmeet Singh literally tweeted a photograph of a family member, I think it was his grandfather or great-grandfather who also served. So those immigrant communities that he's pointing to, racialized communities as well and saying, you don't do this. And in one way, I don't think Don Cherry only um, pointed at immigrant communities. I think he was talking about anybody who wasn't white, Mm -hmm. anybody. And so he excluded and erased all these histories. So for me, it became really personal. I'm also a sports writer and I know this stuff. His shtick is not just shtick anymore. It's xenophobic vitriol and it has no place. And in the last couple of years, he's sort of been veering off more political despite everybody saying, let's not make sports political. Just say the only people that ever say that are the people with privilege. I don't know a single person from a marginalized community, be it indigenous, be it Muslims, be it a Jewish community that have said to me, no, 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 we don't want it to be political because it is inherently political for so many. And Grapes will never understood this, never will understand this. And it's time for him to go. I'm so happy. There's a couple things I want to be clear about. And I I think we need clarity because he's trying to muddy the waters. And for somebody who's like basically built his brand and like, I say it like it is and I'm not backing down, he actually is being uh, incredibly muddy and I think disingenuous in saying, I was not targeting. I don't want to let him get away with that. When he says, you people who come over here, mm-hmm. and he specifically cites downtown Toronto and compares that to rural areas, I think one thing that I liked about the media coverage of this is that they, they did not, at first anyhow, allow him any ambiguity. He is very clearly discussing immigrants and racialized people. And we're not going to pretend like, ooh, like, let's, you know, what did he mean by that? Now, then, of course, when he came back to defend himself after being fired, he said, no, 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 I I misspoke. I, I meant sh- everybody. I meant everybody. You know, like all the people who aren't wearing poppies should start wearing poppies. This wasn't directed at anyone in particular. He's being a coward, and I think he's, I think that's a lie. What's really interesting about his statement was even Scottish and Irish folks who come over here, really? Yeah. Are you, really? Is that who you people who take our milk and honey, what, like the dole is here now? Like, what are you talking about? It's just, it was so bizarre, and I think for somebody who is so his whole shtick is I say what I say. I'm not going to apologize for it. Now, I'm someone who personally I like that mantra. Like I say what I say because mm-hmm. people fucking need to hear it. I'm, you know, hijab wearing brown Muslim woman in sports media. I say this is not the way it should be. It doesn't look like what it's supposed to. And I'm talking about I often refer to Canadian media as a mayonnaise factory because that's what it is. People don't like hearing that. Oh, you're being political. He can stand there and has stood there since 1982 and said his piece in Coach's Corner. He can be political with his assertions, but nobody else can. It's mm-hmm. like he has a special – he's an icon. He has a special place. So, I mean, I just reject and refute all of these statements. And people keep asking me, like, what was it? What was the straw that broke the camel's back? And I actually specifically think it was the topic of veterans. Like, when the Royal Canadian Legion is not – supporting your statements on this and his fans and supporters and this is what i find terribly ironic his fans have said they're going to ban buying poppies now they're going to boycott the poppy because lack of support i couldn't believe that when i saw that being yeah shared the other thing is what was the what was the final straw why this time and not the others and perhaps it was because he went after veterans as you suggest derek de who's the he's the executive editor of the globe and mail and he's editor of their business section he had a twitter thread saying look 
I worked at Rogers. Yeah. I know the internal dynamics. This was a business decision. Mm-hmm. He's costing a lot of money. He appeals to a certain demographic. He alienates others. Hockey needs to evolve. Mm-hmm. It was a matter of time. When you inherit Don Cherry, you know that this is going to come up, mm-hmm. and he will give you that opportunity. And I think that it's possible that he was gunning for this, that this is how he prefers to go out, was uh, on, on uh, you know, for something that he said, as opposed to just retiring because he's 85 and hopelessly out of touch with where Canada is going. So, you know, I, I have a limited interest in Don Cherry and what he believes. Um, I, I have endless interest as a media observer mm-hmm. in the phenomenon of Don Cherry as basically an iconic Canadian on a very short list of people who can claim to be iconic Canadians. Like, there's not a lot. <laughs> Somebody who, over the decades, like, there's nothing special about this guy. If you look at the history of broadcasting, like, TV broadcasting likes cartoon characters. There's even other sportscasters who wore ridiculous suits and said ridiculous things. Mm-hmm. If you go back to the 80s and any sport, mm-hmm. um, you'll find these characters. We, in Canada, chose to take one of these kind of clownish characters mm-hmm. And elevate them. I mean, the CBC did two biopics, mm-hmm. fictionalized retellings, mm-hmm. glorifications of Don Cherry's life and his personal story. Yeah. Uh, this this sort of, you know, guy who never quite made it as a hockey player and, and, and his triumph. He was one of their candidates in the greatest Canadian competition. He was, and he actually did very well. I think he was sandwiched between prime ministers. And I mean, if you want to think on that list of the greatest Canadian and... For me, it's appalling for many reasons. Also, these these polls and these things, who do they reflect? Who are they asking? Like, if you ask, you know, Canadians from different communities, and this is something really interesting about data, like, where did we get it from? Does it actually, and as somebody in Canadian media as well, it's really interesting how obsessed people have been and the turn this has taken. And like you said, he was asked very specifically, well, did you really mean it? Because he was being given endless opportunities to apologize. Mm-hmm. What I found really striking about Ron McLean, who for years I thought was the nicest guy in hockey, to sit there complicitly, watch him. And then people started making excuses for Ron McLean. Well, he had an earpiece in his ear. I'm like, I, I do a podcast. It's not possible to not be paying attention. Yeah, you veer off, you check Twitter. Hope my co-hosts aren't listening. But, you know, you mute your mic, yell at your kids, whatever. But how can you sit there and have this racist diatribe being yelled in your ear and not clue in? Ron McLean was like, thumbs up. You know, whatever he said, not nice not. one, grapes. Yeah, like, exactly. And uh, then, if only Ron McLean had had some uh, reason to expect that maybe uh, Don Cherry might say something. Uh, you know, <laughs> inflammatory. Who, who knew if Ron McLean is part of his practice as a broadcaster, should have some, um, you know, tricks up his sleeve or like, what am I going to do if he ever says this or what? Seriously. And no indication. You know, poor Ron McLean was taken unawares. And then Don Cherry comes back and says, "Quote." They, he buried me. He was talking about Ron McLean's apology. And first, when I saw the apology by Sportsnet, I believe it was Sunday, they apologized for Don Cherry. And what I thought from that was they had probably already had conversations with him and he refused to apologize. So they did it to sort of calm people down, so to speak, because very, very quickly, the social media just, you know, was blowing up on this. It was supposed to be a very calm Sunday for me. Laundry, Parks and Rec reruns. That's not what happened. Anyways, it just it exploded. And then Ron McLean speaking was something that I hoped for, but I didn't expect. And especially when he quotes an Indigenous elder and says, the path to moving forward is acknowledgement of what you've done, which is what he did. But it's also, he didn't talk about the second part of reconciliation. And I do want to get into this with you because reconciliation for me also means moving Ron McLean aside now. You're part of that same problem. You're part of that same white 
Canada look. And that's actually not where hockey is. It's not hockey's evolving. Hockey did evolve. It has already been there in grassroots communities. It's been there. You go to any rink, whether in the GTA or outside or beyond. There's that one kid from a racialized community, an Indigenous community, LGBTIQ community, who doesn't feel like they fit in, although they're there and they want to play who do you want to see if you could if you could not just replace Ron McLean but replace Don Cherry? Who I would you replace want to see? all of them. Um, <laughs> I have a friend named Julian McLean. I would love to see Melanie Desrochers. She was the former Canadian player. I would love to see the Hockey Night Punjabi crowd get more exposure. I would love to see Indigenous commentators. I mean, Wab Rice, I love. He is a Leafs fan and I'm a Habs fan, but mad respect to him. It's okay. Some commentary. <laughs> I was sad when Strombo was no longer part of it because that that gave me hope. Yeah. Seeing him there gave Moving me hope. in the right direction. Totally, but it just wasn't received the way it ought to How have been. about you? I'm no. I'm just I don't think I think I I don't I don't think my suits are bad enough, Jesse. <laughs> I want to talk for a minute. You, you, you bring up complicity and, and, and you're singling out Ron McLean. Fair enough. But um, of course, I want to talk about the CBC. And I, I, I think that um, the position that they've taken in this is absurd. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just absurd. And um, Stephen Quinn deserves, he's a host in Vancouver of a morning show there, deserves a lot of credit because I saw a lot of CBC hosts who wanted to be publicly on the right side of this, but were unwilling to actually speak their minds. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I saw Rosie Barton retweeting clear-eyed analysis that other people wrote and saying, this is a good article, it's well-reasoned. And I said, well, well what do you think? Mm -hmm. Are you unable to say that this guy made bigoted comments that you don't agree with? Mm -hmm. She said, no, I said what I said. I, I, I That's what I want to say. Mm -hmm. Matt Galloway retweeting and, and subtly gesturing towards criticisms of Sportsnet. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, what, what, what do you have to say? Mm -hmm. About this. Nothing. Stephen Quinn, however, not only uh, took this on and held Sportsnet to account, but also had CBC's spokesperson Chuck Thompson on mm -hmm. and asked the question. What responsibility, though, does CBC shoulder as a broadcaster of Hockey Night in Canada and Coach's Corner? Because their comments up to then, their statement had been, Sportsnet is a CTV show. We have this weird arrangement where CTV Sportsnet does Hockey Night in Canada because they bought it away from us. <laughs> and we, we, you know, and they're responsible for what's on that broadcast. Now, I know how broadcasting contracts work, whether it's an advertiser, whether you license your space out to anyone else. There is no contract that does not give you the power to press stop. If, mm -hmm. if suddenly there was pornography or there mm -hmm. was a, any kind of material, you have responsibility for your own channel. Mm -hmm. and, and and CBC, of course, as the stewards of our public airwaves, mm -hmm. our public broadcaster, who's, you know, they, they obviously do not have to air bigoted racist comments. Mm -hmm. And their their position up to then had been that uh, this was uh, this was Sportsnet. So, you know, Stephen Quinn on the CBC's airwaves put it to Chuck Thompson and said, what responsibility do you take? And Chuck Thompson said, we have no responsibility mm -hmm. for the programming of Hockey Night in Canada. Which, I mean, if it, 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 at least he got him on the record with it and, and, then, and then said... Hockey Night in Canada, though, does have a very strong historical tie with CBC's brand. I mean, it first started airing on the CBC on radio in 1936. You know, Don Cherry from 1980 until five years ago was uh, paid for by, by the CBC. Can, can, you, can you distance yourself that clearly today? You made movies about his life. Yeah. You hired an actor to wear shitty suits, and, yeah. and you know, like uh, you know, and and, and nothing. And I, I guess I'm curious about what happens next. Like, do we do you know? Okay, so Cherry's fired, so we forget about all this. Like, is that actually a position that the CBC 
should be allowed to maintain that they have no responsibility for this broadcast. They're broadcasting messages against their own citizens, you know, like the people who pay them. <laughs> like, like, I, like, I need this for my public broadcaster. And I, I think that I also want to talk about a, a person who I think who's who's been brave and is vulnerable in this. And that is a CBC employee, Amir Khan. Hmm. Manitoba. Who, yeah. yeah. And he spoke out and said it is long due time for Don Cherry's coach's corner to be canceled mm -hmm. uh, before Cherry was fired. His xenophobic comments being aired weekly are deplorable. Do you know why black and brown kids don't enjoy hockey because of the deep-rooted racism which we get to hear in capitals every single week mm -hmm. on national TV? Now, I think that that is not a controversial thing to say, mm -hmm. but Amar Khan was told by Chuck Thompson to take down that tweet. Yeah, he was. Because it violated the part of the social media guidelines in the Journalistic Standards and Practices book of the CBC. The expression of personal opinions on controversial subjects, including politics, can undermine the credibility of CBC journalism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The only reason why this is considered controversial is because the CBC has presented this as a legitimate position for so long. I wanted to point out also Dwight Drummond, who did tweet publicly. He's a CBC um, presenter here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. He also tweeted about the you people thing yeah. and what his experiences were. But because he didn't name Don Cherry specifically, he wasn't expected to take it down. He was talking about his own lived experiences. Now, what happened with Amr was rough. He didn't get the support he needed at the CBC. I can't speak for him, and I won't do that, but... Come on, there's very few people, like journalists of color in this country, particularly Muslim ones. Yeah. We know each other. We probably have had chai with each other. Did he get the organizational support he needed? No, because the newsrooms are white, Jesse. Like, we know this. People making the decisions are white. Even people advocating for minority positions and racialized people are white. Bruce Arthur will talk about being progressive. Bruce Arthur is still a white guy. Amplify that space for people of color. Like, give... Amr a chance to have a platform like Don Cherry did. And I find that really interesting that suddenly journalistic practices apply to Amr, but they don't apply, haven't applied to Don Cherry for dozens of years. Like where were the, where were the journalistic practices then when he was making inflammatory comments about women, like his comments and misogynistic, homophobic, absolutely unacceptable comments, what he said about um, Inuit communities and eating seal meat. Like he just throw these out there like they were fine. And then, oh, it's OK. Apparently, the Canadian Broadcast Services um, got a maximum amount of complaints about Don Cherry over the years. They literally maxed out with getting complaints about him because mm -hmm. like people would write in, they'd call in, they'd email in like he was a huge problem. Now, now where do we go? And this is one of the things I wrote a, another piece for The Guardian that came out today, which is Wednesday. Let's stop talking about why. Where are we going? I want to see Rogers Media really do something. Let's have this because like we keep hearing that Brian Burke is the favorite to take over. Right. And for those of you that don't know who Brian Burke is, he was associated with the Maple Leafs organization. Another savvy, quote unquote, white dude. Yeah. Who's definitely over 60. Taking, like, is he, is, is he charismatic? Is he interesting? Is he relevant? Does he reflect the community? He's another old white dude. I'm not saying that no old white dude should be talking about hockey, but when you've had this whole series for so long, you've had a community come out of people that say, listen, we want to be part of this. We need to be included. Are you overlooking them? Get, some, get anybody in there. You know what I will do? I won't take the job, but I will get Rogers Media to pay me tons to consult them on this. Shireen, it's your first time on Canada Land Shortcuts. One thing that we like to do here is find things that otherwise people might miss and duly note them. 
Have you brought something today? I have. I'm very excited about this. I know that you said you're not sports ball friendly. Yes. But I would like to draw your attention to rugby. Oh, God. No, no. Hear me out. Must I? Yes. Rugby will bring you a lot of joy, Jesse. Whether it's a haka, my friend Morgan Campbell at The Star, who I love and I think is the most brilliant writer at The Star. Yeah, Morgan he's Campbell. been on the show. He's wonderful. Love Morgan. I like Morgan more than I like sports. <laughs> okay, there's a start. Morgan and I are both huge fans of Sonny Bill Williams. He is one of the New Zealand All Blacks, arguably the best team in the world. They didn't win the World Cup, but we love them. Sonny Bill Williams is coming to Toronto, to Toronto Wolfpack. You care about this. You will care about this because he's going to elevate the sport and put Toronto on the map in the rugby world. I know you're thinking we were on the map in the rugby world. We are, and we're just going to get more prominent. Those Those tickets will sell out. It's a fantastic game. But what I love most about rugby, and I've played and I loved it, is the culture around it. It's not this horribly divisive, ugly. There's respect. The recent World Cup that was held in Japan, it was so respectful that Samoan players actually covered their tattoos because their host Japan have a tradition of of, of feeling like there's a very horrible, bloodied history of tattoos, you know, put upon Japanese people. So they covered their tattoos out of respect while they played. Like it's stuff like hakas. It's stuff like going out afterwards. It's stuff like tackling too hard, then going to the other person's locker room and apologizing because you're a good guy. There's tons of good people in rugby. You will care about this. It's why Sonny Bill Williams coming to town should be duly noted. <laughs> there was about a like uh, 60 to 40 ratio of words that I understood <laughs> in that to, um, no, hey, uh, rugby. Duly noted. Come to a game with me and Morgan. Let's start there. Okay. I I will. I will do that. I have a piece from Vice to duly note. So the Thompson family, of course, are the Canadian billionaires who fund the Globe and Mail. But they are also, as revealed by a uh, Vice News story, the family who own Thompson Reuters, a company that has made more than $15 million dollars in 2019, working with ICE, the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, through its subsidiaries West Publisher, which is a legal records publishing business, and another subsidiary, Thomson Reuters Special Services, which is a management consulting business. So 15 million bucks, they lose a lot of money, millions on the Globe Mail every year, but it's nice to know that they are offsetting those losses by working with uh, ICE. They currently provide ICE with access to a number of databases, including license plate scanning data and a continuous monitoring and alert service that provides real-time jail booking data to support the identification and location of aliens. They additionally agreed to a new $3.4 million contract to help law enforcement protect its officers, to help ICE protect its officers and officials through threat mitigation services. Shortly after the Trump administration announced its family separation policy last year, the watchdog group Privacy International wrote Thomson Reuters a letter demanding that it cut ties with ICE, with ICE, because of the agency's treatment of immigrants, particularly children. The company refused to stop doing business with ICE. And they further maintained that there is no conflict of interest because Thompson Reuters is also a wire service, and the Thompsons also are the people who run the Globe and Mail. Uh, there's no conflict of interest as they cover these stories of Donald Trump's assault on immigrants. 
while they simultaneously provide data services and aid of all, of all manner to the agency that's cracking down. That's so gross. This idea of power and money and who needs to be like who needs to be policed is really disgusting. And I mean, I'm somebody who has published there before and one because of the platform, the amount of read. And then I get so many emails of people saying, it's a liberal paper. It's not a liberal paper. Look at the roster of columnists. Look, look at who's writing there. Look at who's amplified. Mm-hmm. Objectivity is means trying to silence people. What do you mean? Arundhati Roy has this fabulous quote that I just am literally obsessed with. And the reason I bring it up is because we hear this thing of the voiceless, right? And she wrote, there's really no such thing as a voiceless. There are only the deliberately silenced or the preferably unheard. And this is something I take with me. It's not that people don't have voices. It's just they're not given any space. And when we look at Canadian media and who's writing, who's publishing, but more importantly, who are the decision makers, who are the funders, which is what you're talking about, and who are they in cahoots with? What are they doing to further oppress people? And those asylum seekers that are whose families were torn apart. I remember seeing this tweet, a photo of a transportation vehicle taking asylum seekers. It was a minibus full of car seats for toddlers. Mm-hmm. Like, I cried over that. They're transporting babies, babies that don't speak, that don't have representation, much to the mortification of the judges. They're like, what am I supposed to do? This child doesn't understand and is two and a half years old. How can they understand this? And the fact that the Thompson family sees no problem about this is something that I appreciate you pointed out and that people need to know who is funding what we're reading, who is at the helm, what can be done about it. Can people even at the Globe and Mail talk about that? Are they allowed to talk about that? Are you allowed to, what, what is it, bite the hand that feeds you, so to speak? But this is why we get back to why independent media is so crucial to support. Do you know how I found out about that Vice story? How? I'm not going to say who, but a Globe and Mail journalist sent it to you, DM'd it secretly to me. Duly noted. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world, and BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help, and one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, 
It's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. So, Shireen, rage bait columnist Margaret Wente's reign of terror uh, is over, and some space was created at the Globe and Mail for new voices. Mm. New, fresh, young voices taking the Globe and Mail in new directions. Who have they hired? Andrew Coyne and Robin Urbach. I like... Andrew Coyne and Robin Urbach. I think as far as like centrist conservative voices that don't think things that I think, and I appreciate reading things that are in disagreement with me, and I appreciate people who I think are intellectually honest, and I think both of them do that, and I think they're they're, they're good at that job of columnizing, and they don't do what Wente did of just trying to purposely poke me, and they're not rage-based people. And steal. And they're not like <laughs> plagiarist, intellectually dishonest thieves as Margaret Wente was. However, that column space in the Globe and Mail is finite. And I think that the choice of two center-right voices tells us kind of everything we need to know about where the Globe sees itself moving or not moving. What do you think? Same old, same old. I found out about this opening, quote unquote, mm-hmm. from my friend Vicky Matoma. And Vicky said, should apply. And I was like, really? It's going to go to the usual. And, you know, the only thing I predicted so correctly was the FIFA 2018 final between France and Croatia. I predicted that. I also predicted someone like Andrew Coyne. I didn't know that it would be him specifically, but I knew it would be for me. Somebody typical, typical to the Manus factory, just moving from one slot to another, like just changing verticals in that yeah. way. And I appreciate you saying that you like reading people that are not the same opinion as you. I, I don't do that because I literally grew up in the middle of this. So everything I read was when I got, you know, to university age was stuff that I was critical of. So you, now, you don't need to seek out dissonance. No, I don't. And right. that's why I love, like, I, Dave Zirin is my professional mentor and a friend of mine. And I like reading what he writes. I like reading different people. Andre Demisa McLean. I like reading people with different opinion. Denise Balkisun is a friend. She's also a columnist and the only person of color is a columnist mm-hmm. at the Globe and Mail. I worked with her first. She was my editor, again, for opinion, because they're not going to hire somebody like me. Or will they? Maybe. Maybe when a spot opens up, I might consider throwing my name in. I don't know. But well, I mean, yeah. do I want to be working there? But then again, I'm like, do I want to be getting hundreds of thousands of dollars to share my opinion, but actually write my own shit? I would consider that. I'm yeah. a single mom of four. Great gig. However, do I want to be associated there? Maybe. I think there's a lot of things to look at. Short answer, I'm totally unsurprised at the selection. On the heels of, of that of that announcement of those two hires, um, Ryerson Professor Asma Malik, journalist and academic, released research uh, conducted with Sonia Fatah and Davide Mastracci. It was just written up on the conversation. They released a, a report, some research looking at 
representation with with opinion writers. They wanted to take a bigger view, and we've tried to do this before and do actual like diversity uh, surveys where you know uh, newsrooms self-report information about the makeup of the newsrooms. But when we tried to do that, and they actually cite this in their research, like the newsrooms don't don't cooperate. They don't, you know. <laughs> They don't hand, uh, you know, for us it was we had three out of 18 newspapers filling out surveys about diversity in the newsrooms when we tried that. So they looked at what you can publicly see. You can publicly see who's writing columns. And what they found was over the past 21 years, as the proportion of white people in Canada's population declined, the representation of white columnists increased. So there's a discrepancy as, as Canada becomes more diverse, the opinions that we get to hear becomes less diverse. And uh, that, that discrepancy grew to an, an 11% disparity between the census and the representation of columnists in the 2016 to 2018 period. So it's just like proven in data. Like we're moving in the opposite direction in this industry. And that's what people like biracial and people of color in the industry will have been telling you for decades. But Asman, Sonia and Davide literally backed it up with academic research. I mean, they've all been in media, studied media yeah. and teach media. And full transparency, Asma's a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And I love her work. I think she's sharp. I think she's really, really brilliant. I think her analysis is so important, but also to share this to young students going into the field. Like, I get so many messages from people saying, we see you. I was the first hijabi Muslim woman to be featured on the national as a sports commentator, not as someone talking about culture or identity, but literally it was it was a huge. But why was that? Because the producer was a woman of color who said, we're going to change things mm -hmm. up a bit. So a lot of people are like, well, what were you talking about? Were you talking about being a Muslim Canadian? I'm like, I was fucking talking about the Women's World Cup. Like, that's what I was called for, because that's where my expertise is. So what Asma is talking about, and, and something that the, the report showed was, like I said, stuff that people in media, there's pockets of people of color in media, they will, would have told you this, that it's not just that it's dominated by white, but that white aspiring culture. And one thing that's really problematic, and I will say this here, is that these diversity panels that different newspapers have to try to, they're dominated by white women. Now, when I talk about diversity and what I know in this country from this industry, the topic that makes people the most uncomfortable is to talk about race. So you'll get diversity panels where white women will come in and say, oh, we want to be diverse. Okay, let me tell you, when I, as a woman of color, and I speak to my experience, talk about diversity, I'm not talking about hiring more white people. That's actually not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about literally people from different margins, whether it's LGBTIQ, whether it's indigenous folks, whether it's people of color or biracial folks, that's what I'm talking about. So you get these diversity panels that are often chaired by white women. So admin can say executives, editors can say, oh no, but we've got a diversity panel and they're women. Being a woman isn't tantamount to understanding a racialized person's experience. I just need to be really clear about that. And so the research that Asma Sanya and Davide did was specifically about racialized people because mm -hmm. it needed to be that because it gets conflated. This issue of diversity, we're not just talking about gender diversity. We're talking about racialized diversity, which is topic that nobody wants to talk about and it doesn't surprise me that newsrooms did, newsrooms did not want to fill out the surveys because they're fucking embarrassed i think that point also kind of links into this other aspect of it because it's not just about the globe and mail where they're like you know we're, we're hearing that david walmsley is explicitly talking about the editor-in-chief of the globe and mail trying to de-wokeify 
uh, the Globe and Mail, right? And and, and so we, we increasingly get a, a picture of what the Globe and Mail is about. But the Toronto Star, with its Atkinson principles and a progressive you know, editorial bent, you know, Kathy English, the public editor, writes a column where she is saying, you know, a lot of you have been offended because we've taken, you know, more more the implication is, you know, you don't like what we had to say about Wexit. You don't like what we had to say about uh, Western alienation. Taking a position of like, it was too far left for some of our readers. And then she says very strongly, well, our columnists have the right to offend you. And she writes, it would be an outrage if any columnist was fired for expressing outrageous views. And if you look at her tweet about that, she got ratioed taking this kind of high moral ground of like, yes, we are going to offend you. That's our job. That's what a columnist does. And there were dozens of responses just saying, what about Desmond Cole? Desmond How Cole. about Desmond Cole? What about Desmond Cole? I may or may not have retweeted someone saying that. And and the star's <laughs> position will be, well, Desmond Cole wasn't fired for having an outrageous opinion. In fact, he wasn't fired at all. Desmond Cole quit mm-hmm. when he was told that he can't be an activist and a columnist at the same time, which is actually completely inconsistent with tons of Toronto Star columnists throughout the years. Um, so there are subtle ways that these things kind of play out. For me, reading that was the first thing that popped into my head was what about Desmond? And the thing is, we're not just talking about, it's one thing for Kathy to get out there and share this, but we're talking about the structural support within an outlet. What support did he get at the paper? Where were the bosses? Were they backing him up? And if you're going to be true in this and say, let's back our columnists, our columnists have this, do you have the structure to actually support them? No, he's been very public that that didn't happen. And he's not the first black journalist in Canada to say that there was a lacking supports within those organizations. I'm part of a network of people, of biracial and, and, and journalists of color in this country. And let me tell you, the echoes going through there of saying there's no structural support, it's not good enough, with either the amount of abuse or the amount of pressure or whatever challenges that come up, there's no support for that. It's one thing to hire somebody and say, you can exist in a vacuum. No, that's not good enough. These systems were not meant to be exclusive. The way that they were set up, these structures weren't meant. Yeah. If the bridge is structurally unsound, you can't just tag on another part and say, oh, we keep building. No, you actually have to dismantle and rebuild. Well, I mean, you know, look, there's, there's an elephant in the room, and I'm, I think it's me. Um, <laughs> you know, the, we, we have strained against the, uh, the difficulty and the challenge of trying to build something different, but carrying in all of the same... Uh, both in terms of our like internal psyche and also just like trying to hire from uh, an industry that is set up in this way, structural racism and, and inequalities. And this company is an attempt to try to adapt. There's a certain amount of burn it all down and that we're like firing shots at others, but we ourselves are trying to build something different. So so basically you're offering me a job is what you're saying. <laughs> no, I'm, um, we'll talk uh, about that later. Yeah, okay. no, but, uh, no. <laughs> no, but what it is is that those structures that have this money, that have this opportunity, that have this possibility are doing injustice to their staff. They're doing injustice to their readers by being performative. I mean, why Vicky was let go from Metro is something I'll never understand. Mm-hmm. I think she's one of the most brilliant writers. I love The Vice, Manisha Krishnan. I love, love, love. I think she's brilliant. And I'm, I was so sad when The Vice shut down at Sports Vertical because I used to write there. And I was very happy there. They would let me say what I wanted to. And that was part of why I was happy there. There are still places that let you say that and let anybody say that and participate in the discussions and seek those kind of opinions. I think that for me, what Kathy put out was disingenuous to the core because you really aren't supporting what you're saying. 
I love Sri Pritikar. I think her voice is one of the most beautiful in this country. I think she's like a very, very nice. So like her writing, I will read. I'm not averse. It's not like I'm just sitting here going, ooh, I'm going to X you because you're white. I don't want to hear about it from you. No, like I will say on record, I think Kyle Kelly is a great writer. Do I think he's a great person? No, I've never met him. But he writes for the Globe and Mail as a sports columnist. Beautiful writer. Definitely. I've actually laughed out loud several times reading his pieces because I thought they were funny. My point is, is that it's one thing and a lot of these we're going to let columnists say what they want is so it's such a show. It's a show to let people think. And it's just a pat on the back to liberals and liberals like small liberals who think they're progressive and getting back to what I said before about white people standing there talking about inclusivity but not practicing it. You don't get cookies. I don't give cookies out to people who stand there and say, we want to be inclusive. Show me show me what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Show me what you are doing about it. Who are you hiring? Who are the decision makers? It's not just having people as presenters or having people just, you know, write an opinion piece once in the time. Structurally, what are you doing to change this? And if you don't, you really don't give a shit. So just stop pretending that you're something that you're not. When you go and actively seek out opinions, that's almost the easiest thing to do if you want to, if you want to, like you say, perform diversity. The harder thing to do, as you're pointing out, is at those senior levels, uh, at the level of editor, the editor, at the level of the producer who had you on, uh, it's hard to find senior people. Media weeds out diversity. So when we hire, we have a lot more ease finding uh, diverse candidates at entry-level jobs than, than when we want senior-level jobs. And so we do everything we can to try to find if there are people who want to work here at, at senior levels. But I think that like the structural change you're talking about is like, is this a place where people can actually grow and become those senior-level people? Mm-hmm. And we're talking about like many, many years for like a company that has like 10 employees. Like, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's hard for us. It's hard for any organization to try to, within your culture, resist that, that greater culture. My a podcast that I co-host we work on a Patreon. So we feel responsible to our listeners that we've got to provide smart, intelligent content. So absolutely, I really believe in this idea of the contributors, you know, financial contributors being your listeners and being accountable to them. We're Mm -hmm. accountable for what we put out in terms of content. But this idea of getting people in, it's not just about having them write and present. It's about structurally, what are you offering them? I mean, obviously, having somebody with benefits and having a stable job is super important. And those kinds of things are what I'm also talking about, mm-hmm. Like, in, in addition to the social supports, psychosocial supports. Being a journalist in this country is an exhausting job. I would like to see myself doing this in 10 years. Is that is that realistic? Is it possible? Will people get tired of the fieriness? But I think in a place that is so, so, so already set in its ways, can we change course? Is it possible? I want to think yes, because you might not believe this, but I'm actually an optimist. So I think there are possible and there's ways to do it. Is it to circumvent traditional media? Maybe. Is it to keep harping at them and keep trying to say, listen, let me try to participate if I throw out an opinion at the Globe every once in a while or somewhere else? It's never going to be at the Sun or those type of publications. I can tell you that because even I have my limits. But and then there's those people that say, no, we need to be at the Sun. I had one emailer say to me, you really, really, really should be part of the Sun. Yeah. That's not happening for my own mental health. That's just not going to happen. Right. But to subvert it in, uh, no. in some way that I think that you know, and they think that they're doing in certain hires that they have. But exactly. it's still the Sun. It just kind of gives them cover to be the Sun. And I mean, like, I think that that's what it is. And very often I will say this, that white power structures use 
those people of color as shields to say, well, look how diverse we are. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. Because if you're not providing the supports that are required or giving any opportunity for them to express themselves in the way that they need to write, that the way that they need to about topics that they need to, then you're not you're not actually being genuine at all in that hire. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. Everyone can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send. Shireen, where can people find you and where can they find your podcast and your Patreon? You can find me uh, on Twitter at underscore Shireen Ahmed underscore www.shireenahmed.com. My podcast, Burn It All Down, that I co-host is on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play. Check it out. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com. And you will find just an excellent episode of Oppo, a really candid interview with Lisa Raith this week, and this episode of Commons on the Rizzutos that is just gobsmacking good entertainment and interesting. And it is our crowdfunding season. All of the things that we do are made possible because you support us at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb. Thank you, Tiffany. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndications by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you want to receive ad-free versions of our podcast, once again, support us. Patreon.com slash Canada Land. Mm-hmm.